Welcome to Mom and Doc Talk, a podcast for health-conscious parents where you get the perspective of a mom and a dad who's also a pediatrician and pediatric emergency physician. Instead of Googling your way through parenting and hoping for the best, get trusted guidance and be the empowered, savvy, and decisive parent you know you can be. Sleep easy when you follow advice tested by doctors and tried by moms and dads. Here are your mom and dad hosts, Dr. Christopher Haynes and Azure Sullivan. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Mom and Doc Talk. I am Azure Sullivan. Hey, guys. Hope everyone's well. And this is Dr. Chris. Yeah. Um, what we're it's like fall, winter now, basically. <laughs> um, it's when did that win- happen? It's still, it's still fall. We're still getting Indian summer. The days are still warm. We're not there yet. Don't give us winter yet. I'm not ready for it. It I feels know. like it in the emergency department already. I mean, I've. I'm pretty much raked up every leaf in my backyard at this point, so I feel like it's just going to start hitting us with the cold water, like the cold weather. I think they got their first snow in Montana. I heard 30 inches. So. Oh, I'm glad I'm not in Montana. I want to be skiing in it. No, <laughs> that's true. That's true. I didn't think about that. Um, oh yeah, back to you know. So it's fall, and I know that you know that more than I do because of everybody getting sick. So that season is coming around, coming back around. Unfortunately, it's never gone away, and we've been seeing it the entire time. That's right, because of COVID, it's kind of exasperated all of these, or kind of hibernated a lot of those other viruses that you normally see, and then they're all starting to come out well, at I, once. I, I think it's two things, and you know, I'm sure everyone has heard about RSV, and I know you have questions about RSV, but people aren't really sure what 100% is going on. There's some theories. And during COVID, and COVID certainly didn't cause increased volume in children, other viruses did, but during COVID, all the viruses went away, um, probably because everyone was quarantining. And what now people are talking about is almost this virus debt that people are paying now. So think about it. If you have a child that was one years old and they were quarantined for two years, they didn't get exposed to what they've had in the past. So we now have three and four-year-olds that are now getting exposed to viruses that don't have the immunity that they would have had in the past. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, so there's this void in viruses that we had, and now all the viruses are back, and I would say they're out of whack. Um, typically, we have seasonal patterns, we see things that are that are normal, and the viruses we're seeing are all over the place. And not not what you're used to but also i think you said to me at some point that you know you're like oh this hospital's full this hospital's full that hospital's full someone's been flown out to you know this state because our hospitals are full that's really unusual and why is that um there has been you, first of all you don't even think about a hospital even having capacity like when i go to a hospital i don't think that there's like a vacancy a vacancy sign outside that just turns off you know i don't think about it like that i think like, oh, there's always going to be room for me, always going to be room for somebody. And then you tell me, oh, a hospital is full. You almost think like, how is that even possible? Right. Unless you're in the, you know, the medical environment. But from someone like, you know, everyone else, not you, we just don't see what's going on behind the doors. And you don't, we don't know how many people are actually there filling up the, the, the beds. Yeah. I mean, frequently people don't understand that there's multiple doors to an emergency department and to the hospital. So there's patients that are being transported in from other hospitals by either air or ground. They might get directly admitted to the hospital. There are patients coming in by ambulance. There's patients coming in the front door. 
um, to an emergency department, to the waiting room. And, you know, they're frequently getting upset that they're waiting. And what has happened over the last several months is that the viruses have really kind of kicked up. And for a while, we saw parainfluenza, which we've talked about on podcasts before, which is croup. We saw a huge amount of rhinovirus, which is the common cold. But unfortunately, in kids that are predisposed to wheezing, it causes wheezing. And it can cause those kids that have that lack of exposure to rhinovirus, they're getting relatively sick. And many of those kids were getting admitted. So we have kids with rhinovirus. We also have kids that are in daycares and exposed to other children in schools that, you know, I I tested someone this morning and they had three viruses. They had RSV, they had rhinovirus and adenovirus. And I can't say I've seen that in the past. And there's certainly increased number of viruses if you're in daycare, but two and three at a time is not what we normally see. And you ask about what's really causing this. It's a combination, at least I believe, of rhinovirus, other viruses and the normal things that we see, and this surge in RSV. And RSV is respiratory syncytial virus and it is really, if you go anywhere in the news right now, you're going to see that yeah, all, the, all these hospitals are overwhelmed. I, I heard a story recently that Connecticut Children's was declaring a disaster, and hospitals work really hard. You asked that question about, you know, thinking about it like a hotel and the hotel is full. There are plans at most hospitals to look at surge, and they plan for surge. I think, honestly, many of us got our, caught with our pants down because it went from, it was almost like a faucet was turned on and everyone's getting sick. Um, Volumes are up, waiting rooms are up, waiting out in the waiting room is up. So that billboard that I see, digital billboards, like, oh, you know, time that's, the waiting time in the hospital is now X hours, right? But I don't see that anymore. It's probably like four hours, four plus hours. So they don't even, they're like, "Ah, just don't even show it on the billboard. it, It varies. And what's interesting during COVID, the adults waited and the kids didn't. Kids were kind of moved through very, very quickly because it really didn't affect kids as much. And the adults, it was affected. There was backups. There were people in the hallways. And right now, we're dealing with kids in the waiting room, and it's all hospitals. And people are adding extra staff, and you just can't keep up. And, you know, talking about RSV. Yeah, so going back to it, what is it exactly? So it's a virus, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about exactly what it is, but it's called RSV, and it really, it's a virus that can impact children, especially younger children and infants, and right now, it's it's almost threatening to overwhelm our country, um, at least on the East Coast, that almost all hospital beds are at capacity. So hold on, are you telling me that probably in the next week or so, I'm probably going to get RSV? Uh, maybe, maybe not. We can talk about things you can do to avoid that. And and as an adult, we'll talk I about it. I feel like he tells me like, oh, by the way, this is coming. Just It's almost like I hold the umbrella. That, you know that little mime that holds a tiny umbrella for a safe falling on their head? That's kind of what I feel like when you tell me these things. I'm just going to open that tiny uh, umbrella well, as if it would protect me. <laughs> well, if you have a child in daycare, it's probably something that's coming your way. And unfortunately, influenza is now out. Yeah, and, lovely. And influ- flu shots, inf- flu shots. Influenza is a little early, and we've been seeing influenza A already. So now we're dealing with rhinovirus, which can cause admissions to hospitals for kids. Rhinovirus is really the common cold. Um, it causes five to seven days of runny nose, cough, congestion, high fevers. Now influenza is here, 
there's a speckling of other viruses all over the place, and then RSV is surging. And typically, the season is November and kind of fades out in March. Um, we've been seeing it since late August. So it's completely off. I mean, even November to March is still a pretty long time. It's a long time, but it's something we're used to. Um, we've talked about, you know, which season do you like as an ER doctor? Do you like summer season better or do you like winter season better? Um, I personally like summer better because there's a mixture of viruses. There's trauma. So doctors only have two seasons in your mind? Um, there's no, there's no, not there, four, there's, there's, definitely, there's definitely four seasons, but I think there's more, that summer season is more trauma related. It's more procedural related. There's more fractures versus the winter. Um, Wait, so which, which season is your favorite? I like certainly spring, summer, fall, which is I consider that kind of summery season. It's, or is this be- only because it's almost like when you ask somebody in winter, like, oh, do you like winter? They're like, no, I hate winter. I can't wait till summer. And then summer comes and they go, oh, I can't stand summer. I, w- I want winter to come. Are you that person? I, I, so now I, that we're going into winter. I think for me, it's about variety. And in the summertime and the spring and the fall, you get a lot more variety. You still get viruses. You still get kids with pneumonias and sick, but you also get a laceration. You get a bat bite. You get a dog bite. It changes. And part of what I like as an emergency physician is I walk in and I don't know what I'm going to see and what I'm going to do that day. And that would scare a lot of people. But I think we kind of take it head on and we really, really enjoy it. Um, You know, and it's interesting because now we're not seeing a ton of COVID and What's really interesting is that the Center for Disease Control reported last week that of the tests that were being done, 15% of tests were testing positive for RSV. And some experts are saying that's even higher in hospitals are getting 35 to 40% of of the kids that are coming in testing positive. You know, the funny thing is now that you're saying that we're seeing a decrease in COVID are positive COVID results, but we're so used to being like, oh, that's COVID. So if you sneeze or have RSV or have influenza, like it's like, oh, you have COVID. Yeah. We're so afraid of it now that it's, if you have any illness, we just think it's COVID. Yeah. And, and it's also, it's been reported. I, I read an article and it was an infectious disease specialist at Boston Children's. And they said they're seeing about a 20 to 30% positivity rate in all kind of microbiology laboratories and hospitals. Um, that's that's pretty tough, and it probably is going to increase. So it's something that's it's really a challenge. But let me go back to something. So, like, what what exactly is RSV? I know we keep getting off track here, but like, what is it? Symptoms? Tell me, you know, what are really great cues of I think I might have it. So it's a respiratory virus. It affects the lungs and the breathing passages. It affects the nose and the throat, and it is a very, it's probably the most common infection that most in ch- children will experience by age two. Um, so you're going to get it. The question is, are you going to get sick from it? Or are you not going to get sick from it? And the symptoms tend to vary. and But generally, you're going to get runny nose. The child's going to be coughing. They're going to be sneezing. There's going to be fevers that vary. And then there's wheezing and increased work of breathing. What kind of cough? It's a normal cough. It's a normal cough and, you know, their noses become hydrants, you know, fire hydrants that's dripping down the back, it's dripping in the front. Oh, gosh. And that can be really challenging for mm-hmm. young ba- young babies, especially under two. Um, typically, it lasts anywhere between four days to 10 days. Uh, one of the things that we look out for is what day of illness are you? 
we know that the virus tends to be worse on day three into day four, day four into day five. So right around that day four, we see kids that will runny nose, cough, congestion, fever, really can't differentiate it from another virus. And then they start to have breathing difficulties. And really what it, that virus does is it affects the small to medium-sized airways of children, and it causes the tissue to slough off. And it causes plugging. It causes, it can, you know, look like pneumonia. It can look like a variety of different things. But really the, the thing we worry about is that difficulty breathing. Kids that are, that are high risk for it are kids that are born prematurely under 32 weeks. Asthma? Not really, because those kids are older. Um, kids that have congenital heart disease are at higher risk. If I have a kid who comes in and smells like RSV and they have congenital heart disease, they're going to be admitted to the hospital. If I have a kid that was born you know, 25 weeks and they're now three months old, um, those kids are much higher at risk. And kids definitely under six months are higher at risk, and especially under that three-month range and even more so under one month. They can have problems. They can stop breathing. Um, and many times, young, young babies will admit to the hospital for observation, um, even when they don't have symptoms. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think parents that I've seen over the last couple of weeks, they hear the word RSV and their eyes get big, um, especially in young babies. So, How is it affecting, like, you know, older kids? Um, it's like Toddlers, a cold. It's like it's it's certainly like a cold, and you ask a good question. If you have RSV, can it cause wheezing in an asthmatic? Absolutely. Um, but in general, the older you are, what happens is your airways get bigger, so you're more able to tolerate it. And could four year old, five year old get RSV and have a difficulty? Absolutely. Is it likely in a nine or ten year old? Probably not. And it's something that you just need to really think about, kind of assess and. You know, if you think your child has RSV or they've been exposed to it, I don't think if your child was exposed, you need to run to the emergency department, but you need to be on the lookout. And we'll talk a little bit later about what that looks like when a child is having difficulty breathing um, associated with RSV. Okay. So a kid comes in, has RSV, you know, what are you telling the parents? What are you, what are you suggesting as remedies, you know? Well, I, I think the first thing is there's, parents ask all the time, is there a vaccine? And we do use immunoglobulin for young, young babies that are premature babies. And, you know, there is not a vaccine. What you can really do is hand washing. I had a mother today ask me, how do I prevent my other four kids from getting this? You know, she was a mom of five. She had an, an infant that was six months old. And it's really learning how to sneeze properly, teaching your kids to sneeze into their elbow, washing their hands immediately afterward, blowing their nose if they're old enough and able to do it, and hand washing. Being a, Just being aware of what you're actually touching throughout the day as well. You know, you don't realize how much we touch our face, we get acne. Like, oh, I have no idea why I'm getting acne so much. Well, what are you doing, right? Oh, I sleep on my hand all the time at night. And it's kind of the same thing, you know, you're sneezing into your hand, not realizing you're not, you're, oh, I wiped it on my pants though. Uh, and didn't but, wash but, my hands, But think right? about a three-year-old. You know, yeah, exactly. They don't have the language to even tell you they have a runny nose, let alone, you know, what you can, concrete things you can teach them to do is really wash their hands well. And if you talk to any infectious disease specialist, any pediatrician, and how you eliminate illness, it's washing hands, washing hands, washing hands. And certainly you're absolutely correct. You don't want to be, you know, teach them not to go touch everything everywhere they go is a really good thing as well. Um, but learning how to sneeze, sneezing into your elbow um, is really good. 
and you know, making sure you cover your mouth. I, I walk in every day and the two-year-olds are coughing. I, we know sometimes the nurses and the docs joke, well, I'm, I'm going to get RSV. <laughs> you know, I went in, I had my mask on because we're still wearing masks. And you know, a kid coughed in my eye. and and, you know and you come out and you kind of wash your face but you know you're going to get it we a lot of times we know when we've been exposed to an illness that we're like we're going to get it and that's so awful and as pediatricians and pediatric ER doctors if we get it it's bad because we have really good immunity to these viruses because we were exposed to them all the time and you know I especially when my daughter's sick or I'm around anybody is sick I I go around and I frequently disinfect common heart surfaces frequently like frequently like every five minutes frequently the edges of the chairs doorknobs lamp you know buttons on the lamps um the countertops trash can lids anything that you just think like you know and i try to touch it with my elbow instead of my hands and that's that's really what mode i go into if i'm around anybody that's sick or if my daughter's sick yeah, I, I think it's important if you can keep things clean in your home. As it's... much as possible. I know it's like a five kids, you think, oh, well, I'm just going to get it. We'll just say, sorry, you know, forget that. Forget even probably trying to avoid getting this, but I'm just going to get it, right? But, you know, it does help. It does really help. So with that being said, uh, let's go back to, you know, the first signs, symptoms, all of those things. Um, at what point, you know, your child gets sick, what, at what point do you think the parents should seek care for the child? I think, first of all, it's important for parents to understand majority of kids do well and they can be managed at home and stay at home. Um, and that's positive because, I, as I said, I see parents every day. They see RSV and their heads spin around like they it's a poltergeist. I mean, is that what you're seeing in the hospital now is like the hospitals are being – there's a lot of overflow because parents are just afraid. They're worried, right? So they're just coming to the ER, well, right? Well, yes. And you're saying, well, okay, majority of those people probably didn't need to come in. No, not at all. I think many of those kids may have needed to come in and need to be evaluated. And many of the kids were, we do some nasal suction and they go home. Mm -hmm. Um, Because certainly, you know, think about, I want to talk a little bit about infants. Infants are obligate nose breathers. And I always make dads do this when they're in the emergency department. I tell them to put their thumb in their mouth and then close their nose. That's a baby trying to eat a bottle or drink a bottle, and they can't. They have to be able to breathe through their nose, usually for about the first year. So they're obligate nose breathers. And I ask parents, how often do you suction your baby's nose? Like, well, once or twice. It's before every feed you have to suction and whenever you really think they're congested. And we will go in and babies look like they're in respiratory stress sometimes and they're earlier in the illness and they're not having it. We clear out their nose with nasal suction and saline and they look like a different kid. Um, So I I think it's important to think about it from a lot of different ways. And I wanna talk about looking out for some of the signs that they really do need to get evaluated. And certainly we'll see kids any, any day. And depending on the day of the illness, we may be able to counsel them about when to come back giving return instructions. But one of the major reasons to seek medical care is breathing difficulty. And what does that look like? And for babies, especially even younger kids, it's using extra muscles in their chest and muscles in between their ribs, using muscles in their belly and using muscles underneath their clavicles or their collarbones or having their belly go the other direction. 
I think the other thing to really look out for is looking for their at their respiratory rate. Explain to me what you mean about using those extra muscles. So when we breathe normally, you know, look at your significant other, look at your child at home right now, they are not, look at their chest move. And when they're breathing, it's smooth, it's comfortable, it's not fast. When they get into distress, and I'm gonna st- I'll start with the nose, sometimes they nasal flare and their nose will rhythmic, rhythmically go kind of in and out and it looks like it's flaring. That's a sign that you're having difficulty. And to answer your question, if a baby's having difficulty, they start to have contractions of the muscles that are in between their ribs. And you can visibly see it. It's almost like making a muscle in your bicep. Each breath they take, you can see a contraction of a muscle between your ribs. And when a baby is not having difficulty, they don't do that. That's a sign that they're having difficulty. They're recruiting extra muscles to be able to move air through their lungs. Additionally, babies will use muscles underneath their diaphragm and they use muscles up in their neck and underneath their collarbones as well. So you'll see those muscles contract and we look very closely at that. The other thing that babies will do further down the line when they get sick is they will grunt and grunting is a bad sign. And I don't mean just a grunt, like they have to go to the bathroom and they grunt. It is a rhythmic grunt. It sounds eh, eh, eh. And what they're doing is they're really, we call it PEEP, and it stands for positive end expiratory pressure. It's trying to keep their lungs open. So they're putting, that noise actually makes pressure in their lungs and keeps the bottom of their lungs open so it's easier to breathe. That's a sign that they're getting towards respiratory failure and they need to be evaluated relatively mm-hmm. quickly. But retractions, you can retract for days, but as that gets worse, they need potentially additional support. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, the other thing that, to look out for is dehydration. And that's the other big thing that kids will get admitted for with this. And they're having, they're, you know, they're sleepy, they're tired, they have low grade fevers, they might have higher fevers, they're having breathing difficulty, and you can lose a lot of water in your body through fast breathing as well. So dehydration is something to look out for. And looking at what the normal amount of wet diapers that your baby has. If it drops off dramatically, they haven't had a diaper for 12 hours. For babies, having bowel movements and having um, wet diapers is an indicator of their hydration status for a parent to be able to look at. We look at other things. We look at if their eyes are sunken, if their mucous membranes are tacky like sandpaper or they're dry. They're the things we look at. And they're probably the two major things with RSV that we will look at as well. Okay. So With that being said, treatment at home, what does that consist of? It's really supportive. Um, There's no antibiotic for this. There's no vaccine for it. There's really no antiviral for this. It is like we've talked about. Preventative care. It's ibuprofen if you're over six months of age. You know, ibuprofen or Tylenol if you're under six months and a combination ibuprofen Tylenol over six months. Uh, Certainly a humidifier suctioning repeatedly, um, making sure that they're getting fluids appropriately. Um, they're the keys to this. It's just supportive care. And, you know, kind of understanding and being patient as a parent that it's going to be a long haul. And I tell parents, especially if they're, they test positive for RSV on day two, you may have a long four or five days ahead of you. It may be long nights. Kids will cough frequently. They're coughing at night because there's mucus dripping down the back of their throat. I have parents that ask me every day, can I have a cough medicine for my child? 
In general, we don't give it. The American Academy of Pediatrics doesn't recommend it under about eight years of age, and some recommendations by other governing bodies, it's even older than that um, because there's a lot of side effects in young kids. It really doesn't improve quality of life, and it costs a lot of money. Um, so they're the symptoms that we really worry about, and they're the big issues. Um, you know, I think parents' biggest fear is being hospitalized and what that is and what we do. There are many things that we can do. And even in my career, the treatment of RSV has changed. It was in the past very invasive with ventilators. We're now using a lot less invasive. Uh, we use high flow nasal cannula. We use CPAP, which is continuous positive airway pressure like you use when you snore that are not tubes down their throat like we used to use in the past. So that's a positive. Most kids get supported. Majority of the kids don't need an intensive care unit. They can be watched on a floor. They're watched for several days. I have parents ask me all the time, well, how long? You know, we're admitting to the hospital. And I work at several hospitals, and we have kids boarding potentially for days. So you ask, what's going on? If you're not at children's hospital and you need to be admitted to the hospital, and that hospital doesn't have beds to admit kids. Yeah, what's the wait like? Um, we've had kids 36 hours, four, oh, five, four or five days. So the ER doctors are managing them as inpatients, which is not perfect. And we're also managing the influx of patients coming in with additional viruses, illnesses, fractures. So it's very much a challenge. And typically rooms in emergency departments are not set up for inpatient type care. Um, one hospital that I know um, is really kind of reassessing daily and they will call you back at 10 o'clock in the morning and say, you know what, we don't have a bed yet. We'll call you back at 10 a.m. tomorrow. And we have to go in and talk to the parents and say, you know what, you're not going to have a bed today. And these kids are stable. They're getting the treatment that they need while they're there. Um, but as I said, and we talked about earlier, when I do time in the children's hospital, there are kids that are being transported from locations and ge geographic locations that normally we wouldn't because for instance, all the beds in that area are closed and they're looking for beds. So when I go to transport somebody, I may call the first hospital and they don't have a bed. I call the second hospital, they don't have a bed. And for parents understanding that takes 20 minutes, half hour, maybe, maybe a little bit longer to kind of go through that process. Now we have to start over, it's 20, 30 minutes. Meanwhile, we're trying to balance the emergency department. Um, in our area, we kind of hit two or three children's hospitals. Similar kind of each big city has one or two big hospitals that are children's hospitals. Um, and then there are smaller hospitals that sometimes admit kids. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a struggle to get those kids into beds and we just may hit a wall and there's nothing that we can do. I mean, the scary part is too, going into the ER, I mean, no one likes going to the emergency, to, to emergency room, but the other thing is you go in for one thing and with all of these viruses happening, at once, like you're saying, like, you know, one child has three viruses, which is unusual. You go in for RSV, theoretically, and you come out with maybe six more viruses um, because you're sitting in there in the waiting room. Um, it's certainly possible, but that's, po but that's possible even being admitted to the hospital. Yeah. Uh, we call them nosocomial infections. So you go in with RSV and you come home with flu a week later. Um, certainly, does it happen? Absolutely. Do we want it to happen? No. Um, but viruses are extremely contagious. Um, so, you know, it, it's certainly a challenge. Um, we work through it. We do our best. Um, I think it's interesting to go back and, you know, when we talked before, one of the things that's really important is to understand your region, understand what children's hospitals are around. And 
you might not want to take your child to an, a hospital that doesn't have pediatric services. Absolutely. We need um, to you know, evaluate at, at in and advance. Look, and if your kid's sick, you're going to go to the closest hospital and get a doc as fast as you can, uh, whether it be by ambulance or by car if they're really sick. And then they'll get you to a children's hospital. But certainly if they have children's staff, they understand RSV a little better. They've seen it a lot more and they have more of an armamentarium of tools in their toolbox to really take care of it and to deal with it. And then understanding how to transport and understanding that landscape is really important. Yeah. Um, and reminding all of you guys, all our listeners, that we do have a podcast on preparation of going into the emergency department and how you can at least be more comfortable while you're waiting there. You know, Dr. Chris, you're saying 36, 38 hours for sometimes for a bed. That's a really long time, especially with a very young, sick child. So be prepared if possible. Yeah, and we also have a we also have a class for parents that's how to navigate healthcare. And it talks a lot about these different topics, about understanding your geography, knowing where the closest children's hospital is. You know, you may live in Kansas and it's 600 miles. Um, so knowing where to get care, where to get pediatric care, where you might have to go, understanding it, you know, potentially having a go bag. You know, no one wants their child to get sick, but it does happen. Being prepared is really what makes it a lot easier, a lot yeah. better, and what has a, you know, uh, resulting in a better outcome altogether yeah. too. Yeah. I had a child today that came in with abdominal pain. It was an adolescent and the mom kind of giggled as I walked out of the room and she said, not what I expected for today. Um, it wasn't on the agenda. <laughs> um, so it does happen. And, you know, it's, it's a challenge for parents. It impacts your daily work. It impacts your life. Um, but we're trying to support you the best we can. Um, I would say that, you know, as an emergency physician, looking at the news, reading everything, you'll get great care. Um, I'm not looking forward to the winter season. Mm -hmm. um, part of my reason for liking the summer is the variety in the winter. Um, it's almost like a minefield where you see the same thing repeatedly. And it, it's very challenging. You have to be very detailed. You have to focus. And, you know, there are diagnoses that can mimic RSV. So we're really looking out, you know, we see RSV 30 times in a day. It's kind of hard to walk in and not say, well, this is RSV again. And in medicine, we talk about, you know, a horse is a horse is a horse. <laughs> and we also talk about, well, there's zebras out there. And how do you not miss that zebra by thinking it's a horse? So, you know, congenital heart disease that's not picked up can mimic RSV. And that's, I think, at the end of the day, what we're worried about. You know, is it just RSV? Are we missing a pneumonia? Are we missing cardiac disease? So we're really focused. And it can be really challenging month after month because it goes. I mean, we talked about November through March. What's that? November, December, January, February, March, five months. You know, it's five months of RSV. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're uh, not trying to scare everybody either. Um, I know watching the news and watching about RSV, sometimes it can make it seem scarier than it actually is. But they're just really informing you that, you know, a lot of people are getting sick currently. And, you know. I think it's about awareness. It's awareness, and, yeah. you know, hopefully you'll take out of this, what can you do to try to prevent it? Understand that there's not um, a treatment for it, what the treatments at home are. And then understand most kids aren't getting admitted to the hospital. They're being evaluated. You know, if you think about a children's hospital with high acuity with all comers, right? A low acuity emergency department probably admits about two to 4% of their all of their patients. So it's a small percentage. Mm -hmm. 
a children's hospital that's an urban, you know, big children's hospital. It doesn't necessarily need to be urban. It could be suburban as well. That has large catchment area. They're probably admitting eight to ten, six to ten percent of their patients. So it's much higher. That acuity level is higher. Almost kind of mimics what an adult ER looks like, versus you know more. I would say primary care patients and you know urgent care type patients. Mm-hmm. Um, so something. I mean, that- and that's why we're here talking about this today, letting everybody, letting you guys know that you know this is what's going on. This is what's happening right now, and how you can prevent it. And if you get it, your kid get it, gets it. How you can take better care of yourself and your children at the same time, and get through it as quick and as painless as possible. Yeah, I think a lot of it is knowledge, and you know, I think with COVID, there was a initially there was a lack of knowledge. You know, I had a parent today say it was RVS. I had another parent say it was RV. I, I think the whole term respiratory syncytial virus scares people. They don't understand what it is. And I think, you know, the hope of today is that we can explain what it is, explain the course. And certainly, as always, you can send us your questions. We love your questions. And you can certainly reach out to us. We have information in our courses. And, um, you know, I think we're really looking forward to giving you more information. Absolutely. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Dr. Chris, about RSVP? No, RS- no. RSVP, XYZ, RSV, everybody, it's RSV. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's being comfortable and really assessing your child, understanding it potentially is a lot of work with RSV, but the majority of kids do very well with this. Um, I do want to comment about older children and adults, generally they just get a cold. And it's a bad cold, but it's a cold and it'll go. And you know, typically I have parents ask me, well, how contagious are they? Where is it contagious? It's a couple days before and a couple days after they're still contagious even after symptoms. So basically like everything else, it just looks like a cold, probably is a cold, but it's it's RSV. It's it's a horse, yes. It's a... Um, so thanks for listening, everybody. Um, thanks, Dr. Chris. That was really awesome. Hopefully you guys don't get RSV. <laughs> and this is a good introductory to what's coming for the rest of the fall into winter time. So Absolutely, everyone. Thank you. Please check out BloomerWellness.com and listen to our other podcast episodes. And like I said, if you have any questions, please send them our way. Absolutely. Yeah. So until next time, have a good good night, everybody. Good night. That's all for today's episode. Thank you for joining our mom and doc talk. Did any questions come up while you were listening? Share your questions with Dr. Christopher and Azure by visiting www.blueemeraldwellness.com. You can also connect with them on Instagram at wearekidshealthsecrets. Don't forget to rate the show on iTunes or Spotify so we can continue answering your most pressing kids health and parenting questions. Thanks again for tuning in. And we'll catch you in the next episode of Mom and Doc Talk. The content of this podcast, the opinions and information provided by the co-host and guests are for educational purposes only and should not replace the care provided by your child's physician. If you or your child is ill or having an emergency, please call 911 or seek care immediately.